here from God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, if by faith you believe that he came in the flesh, that he was born of a virgin, that he died, and that he rose again, the Apostle John says this to you, this is what we are, children of God. We're spiritual brothers and sisters brought together in the gospel and lavishly loved by the creator God who is now called our Father. It's amazing truth, an amazing thing to marvel at this morning, regardless of what our week has been like. And we're going to respond uh, as we sing together. We're going to stand and sing our first hymn, Praise to the Lord. Please stand. Church family, let's pray together. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. You are the Lord, the one and only, the ruler of this entire cosmos. You are creator and king. And we, your creatures, we bow 
in worship, and we give you great thanks and praise for who you are. Your character is worthy of all of our praises, all of our sacrifice, uh, all of our focus this morning. Lord, we ask that you would uh, forgive us for so often our, our hearts run after other lords, other gods. We, we prioritize other things more than you. Uh, and yet, Lord, you're so merciful and you're so kind towards us uh, that you forgive us, that you've provided a way for our sins to be cleansed through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we find full forgiveness uh, because of his life and death and sacrifice. We thank you that we find our consciences cleansed when we remember that you've provided a savior in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ when we turn to him in faith, when we recognize that you, the just judge, have provided forgiveness because of his sinless sacrifice. And so this morning we can come to you uh, with clean consciences when we look to Christ, when we trust all you have provided for in him. And so for that this morning, Lord, we give you praise. Lord, we pray that you would restore to us uh, the great joy of your salvation, that we would worship you afresh this morning, that we would be able to look back on the, the goodness that has followed us all the days of our lives, and that we would look forward to your promises in hope uh, of that one day being free from the entire presence of sin and being able to look you in the face as our God and our Savior, and to serve you and to worship you forever and ever. That is the promise to all those who look to Christ, and it's that that we hold on to, Lord. And so this morning, um, accept our worship and our praise, we pray, for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, let me welcome you this morning. Um, if you're a regular attender here, a church member, um, we're encouraged that you're here. We love you. Um, welcome as well if you are visiting for the first time. It's really good that you can be here. Welcome to those at home on the live stream as well. And for those that might not know me, my name's Ashley, and I serve as one of the pastors in training here. Um, just a, a couple of notices this morning. Firstly, um, Daniel Zaiden, one of our uh, missionary church partners, has sent a message. He has a, a team working in Ukraine, uh, and they're in the process of bringing out uh, several dozen Christian families from Ukraine. Um, and they're being brought to the UK. So they're being brought from Ukraine to the UK as part of um, uh, the UK government's process in rescuing these refugees. Uh, and there's a government scheme that will give um, £350 per person um, to any household that's willing um, to home and to house some of these refugees that are coming out. Um, and so just wondering if there might be two or three families within the chapel family that might be willing to host these Christian refugees that are coming over uh, from Ukraine. If, if um, that is um, something you might be interested in, please do get in touch with the office, come and see me afterwards, and we'll be keen to talk about that further. Thank you. Um, our second notice is going to be delivered to us by video. One of our elders, Graham Penman, is going to tell us uh, about an up-and-coming event. So please play that now. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Graham. I'm one of the elders here at the chapel. And I'd like to spend a couple of minutes just letting you know a little bit about a conference that we're hosting with Music Ministry next month called Enjoying God in Song. Now, each week, as we gather together on a Sunday, we are richly blessed by so many who have been given 
gifts in music, whether that's playing instruments or leading us in singing. And I want to take this opportunity just, just now to thank them for their hard work and dedication uh, that they put in uh, to doing this week by week. Because there's a lot that goes on in the background. Things like selecting appropriate songs for the service and the themes and the position within the service. Working with the pastoral team and the service leaders to work on items that are going to be into the service. Reviewing theology of new songs that are suggested that come in to make sure that they're theologically correct and appropriate for the church to be singing uh, together. Mentoring younger musicians and other musicians to send them out into church plants to help them lead their sung praise and worship Sunday by Sunday. And ultimately, looking at how do we encourage one another and brothers and sisters in Christ as we meet to lift our voices in praise uh, to God together through song. And this is the reason why we wanted to set aside a day uh, next month, it's going to be April the 30th, to delve deep into God's word with some teaching sessions from Dr. Ian Hamilton, our very own Paul Rees, uh, Andy Fenton and others from Music Ministry who are going to give teaching on lots of these topics. Well, who should come to this conference? Well, I think this conference is for everyone. In the morning, there will be two main teaching sessions, along with copious amounts of sung worship led by the band. Uh, in the afternoon, we'll have interactive seminar sessions on everything from choosing, rehearsing and leading songs uh, to enjoying older songs, the, the richness of biblical songs and hymns from the past. It'll be a great day of equipping and encouraging musicians, singers, service leaders, pastors, church members, CU leaders, from churches across Scotland with the theology of sung worship as we look to ensure that we sing songs that focus on God, are full of biblical truth, point sinners to the gospel and lift glory and praise to him. Tickets are available online to book now at music-ministry.org and look for the Edinburgh Conference, hit the book now button uh, they're £12, but please don't let that be an issue. Just come and see me and we can sort you out. And we are looking forward to seeing you all there at this conference. It promises to be a great day. Excellent. That sounds really good. Um, would you like to come up? We've got a bit of a crew with us up on the pulpit today. Uh, membership is um, uh, Membership in the local church is both beautiful and it's also biblical. Um, membership gives kind of names, one aspect of membership, and there are many, uh, give, it gives names and faces um, to the one another commands that are in the Bible. Uh, bear with one another, Ephesians 4. Uh, spur one another on to love and good works, Hebrews 10. Uh, love one another, uh, John 13 and 15. Um, these take on a whole new meaning when we join in membership as the local church, for it cements, and like I say, it gives faces and names to these particular commands. We're called to love all Christians, all those that are, uh, profess the name of Christ, and yet membership says that I am particularly committed to these specific people, and I'm going to use my time and my talents to love them. And we're really grateful that you guys chose us to be able to love us and that we can love you. And so I'm going to read, um, each of you was in your membership interview, was given a verse by an elder. I'm going to give you a book on membership and read that verse to you. So 
would be the last one, wouldn't it? So welcome to Jemima and Matthew uh, White. It's a joy to have you here. Jemima, your verse is, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. And Matthew, for you, brother, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. And you can share a book. There we go. Amber, hi, welcome. Your verse is, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Welcome. Hi, David, Lorna, welcome, and welcome Lachlan and Lydia and Evie. Um, David, your verse is, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And Lorna, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Hebrews 4.14. Welcome. Great to have you. Nice to see you guys. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Uh, children, it is now time for you to leave and go to your Sunday school. So this is for everybody up to and including P7. Uh, and if you're visiting and you've got children with you, just follow the crowds and you'll see where to go. We're going to have our Bible reading now, and uh, we're going to have our Bible reading now, and we're actually interrupting our series in Romans that Paul's been taking us through, and one of our pastors, Liam Garvey, is going to be taking us through the book of Philippians uh, over the next few weeks, and our reading this morning is going to be from Acts um, chapter 16, and uh, Amber's going to read that for us, and after this, David will lead us in a time of pastoral prayer. Yeah, so we're going to read from Acts 16, starting at verse 6. Okay. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Messiah and went to Troas. 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From from Troas, we put out to the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the woman who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of of Tyatria named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept our practice. The crowd joined in in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. They Then immediately him and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. 
the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them out from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went into Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Good morning, everyone, um, and now it's time for our pastoral prayers. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you have brought each and every one of us here this morning. Thank you, Father, that not one person is here by mistake. We thank you, Father, that we can come into your presence this morning as your people set apart to praise your name and to hear your word. Father, we ask that you would give us all ears to hear and that we would all be present and engaged, expectant for you to speak to us through your word. Father, as we praise your name this morning, we are reminded of John's vision, which he recorded in Revelation of the throne of God, as the living creatures, the elders, the angels, between them never stop proclaiming day and night, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. <clears throat> For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Father John tells us that this praise and worship never stops and is happening right now. Father, this excites us as we think of those who have gone before us joining in and that we too one day will be part of that. Father, what a thought, and we thank you for that. But Father, this morning we want to especially remember Sheila Howard for her continued treatment, Benny, Betty McIntyre, who is in hospital, for Natasha Black, we ask, Father, that she would settle into the new nursing home, for Adrian and Fal Todd, who are on well, we remember Norman Wallace, who is at home, Tony Norton in hospital, and Ian Balfour, who is also in hospital, Father. And Father, we also give thanks that Sarah Forsyth is now home. Father, we also want to lift John and Claire Easton, as John's mother, Katie, has passed away. Father, we thank you for your promise in Isaiah 41, which says, not to fear, for you're with us and not to be dismayed, for you are our God and that you will strengthen and help us and uphold us with your righteous hand. Father, we ask that each of these folk would know these promises and that, Father, they would stand in them through their difficulties. Father, we also want to thank you and celebrate the birth of baby Lois to Callum and Claire. We ask, Father, that you would bless them and keep them, Father, during these exciting times. And, Father, we want to lift up Ian and Anne-Marie Prescott before you also. 
Father, we give thanks for the people who gathered to pray at OMF's conference in March. Father, we thank you for the opportunities that they had to share your heart for all people through the preaching of your word and the presentations. Father, we also thank you for those in the church in Japan who you have given a heart to reach the Vietnamese in their midst. Father, we ask that you send mature Vietnamese believers to join the couple leading the small Vietnamese evangelical church down in London. And Father, we ask that opportunities would be given to encourage the individual Vietnamese believers that Ian and Anne-Marie are in contact with and for wisdom in supporting the parents who are frail. And Father, we lift up Ukraine before you. Father, we ask that you would bring an end to all hostilities. Father, we ask that you would give wisdom to President Zelensky as he leads his people. And Father, we give thanks for our brothers and sisters in the church there. Father, may they seek your face during their suffering. And Father, we ask that you would strengthen their faith as they worship and proclaim your mighty name there. Father, may your name be glorified in that war zone. Father, for the unreached people of the world, we lift up the Bobo Madure and Burkina Faso in Africa. Father, we know this group are primarily Muslim, and we give thanks that they already have access to the complete scriptures in written and audio forms. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit does not reside in totems, but in the hearts and minds of those who know you and love you. Father, would you raise up believers from within Burkina Faso to reach out to these folk with the gospel? And Father, may many people be broken by the knowledge of their sinful hearts, turning to you in repentance, following you. Father, we also remember the sports quiz in early April. May this opportunity be used for many to hear the gospel and respond to it. And Father, for ourselves, we ask that you would give us clear opportunities this week to share the gospel amongst our families, friends, colleagues, and neighbors. Father, would you give us boldness and the necessary words at the correct time? Father, for our nation, we ask that our political leaders would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, we ask that they would turn to you and your word for wisdom so that they would make godly decisions that honor you as they govern our nation. And Father, for Liam, as he preaches your word this morning, we ask that you would bless him, that you would lead him, and that you would anoint his words with authority, and that he may reveal your truth to us clearly. So Father, we thank you that we can talk to you. We thank you that you hear our voice and we thank you that you answer our prayers. And we pray in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, David. So we're looking forward to uh, Liam coming to preach from Philippians, but just before that, we're going to sing uh, one more hymn. And this hymn is essentially a plea for more of Christ, uh, for his presence. One of the verses says, fix in us your humble dwelling. It's for more of his power. Uh, take away the love of sinning. 
and it's for the fulfillment of his great promises to be brought to fruition. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Love divine. Let's stand up and sing.
voice, brothers and sisters. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, shall we? Philippians chapter 1. Our lead pastor, Paul Reese is on his jolly holidays for a week, so I'm starting a new series in Philippians, where we'll do Philippians 1 this week and next week, and then after Easter, another four morning services where we'll look at the rest of the book together. So it's a small dose over the next two weeks uh, until Paul comes back and then takes us back through the book of Romans. We're in Philippians 1, and we're going to read from verses 1 to 11. And before we read it, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for uniting us together as a church family in Christ. Our prayer now is that you would cause our love to abound more and more in the knowledge of you, so that we may not only discern what is excellent, but do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 1, reading from verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you since I have about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. This is God's word. Well, last summer I had the joy of uh, watching the British and Irish Lions uh, playing at Murray Field. Uh, and as I watched them, I began to think about us, about our church family. Uh, here's why. Uh, year after year in the Six Nations, these players are, of course, on different teams. Uh, the British and Irish Lions is made up of those uh, from, selected from nations, Scotland, England, Ireland, and Wales, of course. And as I say, year after year in the Six Nations, as we've just seen, these players are on different teams, and they have different goals. So Hamish Watson of Scotland wants to smash Dan Bigger of Wales. Who doesn't? Maro Otoji of, that was harsh, Maro Otoji of England wants to score uh, against Ireland's Conor Murray. He wants to charge down those kicks. But when these players are selected for the British and Irish Lions as they were last summer, they, if you like, they're on the same team. They've taken off their national colors and taken on a new identity. The badge unites them, and a new collective ambition grips them. Watson actually wants to pass to Bigger, 
Itoji wants to catch Conor Murray's kicks, and they all want to work together to win. And this is why I was thinking about us as a church family, because ultimately it's a picture, an illustration, if you like, of the local church. This church is made up of people from different backgrounds, different ages, different nations, selected by God, putting a team together called the church. And we have a new identity. We've taken off the old self and clothed ourselves with Christ. We have a new ambition. We've set aside old self-centered ambitions to strive together towards a new and a collective goal. We are brought together by the gospel and for the gospel. And I think that's what we see is the main point of this book of Philippians, certainly of this section that we're looking at this morning. Philippians is a letter written by the apostle Paul uh, to a church he planted 10 years prior to writing. Acts 16 that we read earlier in our service tells us exactly how that happened. Through a combination of closed doors and a vision, God brought the Apostle Paul and his ministry team to this uh, place called Philippi in what is Northeast Greece. And the gospel made landfall on Europe for the very first time. Through Paul's preaching, God opened the eyes of Lydia first, this God-fearing, uh, almost religious-y type fashionista. Uh, she and later the members of her household believed and were baptized. And then through this imprisonment scene, uh, he, uh, the Lord brought this battle-scarred jailer to his knees before the apostle Paul, crying out, what must I do to be saved? And he and the members of his household believed and were also baptized. So together with Paul and his companions, these people joined together and became a church. And 10 years on, verse 1 describes exactly what it was that they formed. Verse 1 tells us what that church was. God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with elders and deacons. And that they were enjoying grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In summary, they are his, the Lord's, set apart and devoted to him. That's what it means to be God's holy people. They are vitally united to Jesus Christ as their king. That's what Christ means. Located in a particular place. Notice they are not in Philippi. They're at Philippi under the care of qualified leaders devoted to serving Jesus. That's what they are, elders and deacons. None of this is incidental detail, uh, and it's important that when we read our Bibles, we don't just rush past introductions like these. Not a word of God's is lost, should be lost on us. It, every word has meaning. But it's the reason why their partnership was so strong. They knew what a local church was. Now, Paul, of course, at this time of writing is not in Philippi. He's actually in Rome. He's under house arrest chained and guarded, awaiting a hearing before notorious Nero. He couldn't go to the Philippians, the church that he loved, but wonderfully, they have come to him. Out of love for Paul and eagerness to partner with him in the gospel, they have sent support, money for provisions. You weren't provided for in prisons back in Rome in those days. But they also sent a, a partner, they sent a friend, company in Epaphroditus to join him and to join Timothy. And it's out of gratitude and with great joy that the Apostle Paul writes this letter to them, 
a letter that teaches us what an absolute joy it is to be together for the gospel. So let's walk through verses 3 to 11 together and figure out um, if we are and why we should be. Let me walk through it in two points for us. The first is this. Thank God for the joy of gospel partnership. That's point one. This is what Paul's doing in verses 3 to 5. Look with me at it. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Wrapped up in all of that are really, it's really the first of the reasons why we should thank God for the joy of gospel partnership. It's because that gospel partnership provides evidence that God is at work among his people. God is the one who's credited with the activity of the Philippian church. I hope you noticed that from the text. It's actually obvious from just the way that Paul directs his thanksgiving. Uh, it's Godward. He doesn't say, thank you so much, Philippians, for your gifts. Uh, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you, essentially on account of these gifts. So whatever encouragement Paul gets from them, whatever they've done to partner with him to make ministry happen, or even to keep Paul alive in prison, it's God's work. That's what Paul wants us to see. It is, even the start of this letter is fundamentally God-centered. And the same is absolutely true for us. Uh, what gospel ministry are we doing that cannot be credited to God? Uh, what gifts have we been given to employ in his service that cannot be credited to him? We don't receive the thanks and the praise. He does. Thank him for all the ways that he is at work through us as a church family. But gospel partnership also creates confidence that God is actually continuing his work in us. Look with me at verse 6. It's their active partnership in the gospel with the Apostle Paul that leads him to say that, oh, I pray, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion till the day of Jesus. So what does that say? It says, God began the work in them. And we saw how that work was initiated by the Lord in Acts chapter 16. God got Paul to Philippi. God opened Lydia's eyes. God is the one who initiated and started it all. You could even go back further than that. You could go back to uh, Paul's call on the Damascus roads and back further than that. You can go to the cross and the death of our Lord Jesus Christ to find the source. And God not, also began a, not only began a work, he, as Paul says, will, will carry it on as well. The spread of the gospel through those who have been transformed by it is what God does. It's his business. And we can be utterly confident as a church family that God is at work in us when everything that we do is done together for the gospel. Inactivity would be a cause for concern. Different activity apart from gospel ministry would be a cause for concern. But this is what gave Paul confidence as he thought about the church at Philippi and what their partnership proved. It's fundamentally God-centered and ultimately for the advance of the gospel. And we'll think a little bit more about that next week. But it also says that God will complete this work too. It's a great, it's a great thing to meditate on, friends. 
for us collectively. No, this, is, this is addressed to a church, remember. This, this, these verses are not coffee cup verses for us to enjoy for, just for ourselves. These are corporate. God does not leave a work that he begins unfinished. I don't know if you've been up Calton Hill, but Calton Hill, there stands the National Monument of Scotland, so-called, a memorial to those who died fighting in the, in the Napoleonic Wars. But what's it known as? Edinburgh's disgrace. It's known as Edinburgh's disgrace because it was never finished. They ran out of money and nobody would pitch up any funds to get it finished. So there's a disgrace. But that's never going to be true of God. What God starts, he carries on to completion. And this is the encouragement given to those in partnership in a local church. And it's certainly encouraging to us. that Though we're not perfect, when Jesus comes, we'll be ready. God will put the finishing touches on the work that he is doing in and through us in a way that brings him glory. Isn't that an incredible privilege for us to be involved in? Thank God for that. And do thank him for that. Though, though don't, please don't make the mistake of turning it into something automatic or mechanical. The Christian life and the Christian work, the gospel, gospel work as a local church is not mechanical or automatic. There's no cruise control with it. Many who have professed Jesus as Lord with their mouths but not truly believed in their hearts have done that and made that mistake. Though God's faithfulness is decisive, it doesn't make us passive, though. As Paul himself says in chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. That's the lens through which we understand verse 6. Well, thank God because gospel partnership provides evidence that God is at work, but also because gospel partnership actually catalyzes the spread of the gospel. That's what, what is this partnership that Paul's talking about? And what did the Philippians partnership actually look like when you boil it down? Well, the word for partnership in the original language is koinonia. It's often translated as fellowship, but that's become such a weak word in some Christian circles. To some, fellowship involves two or more Christians in a room enjoying a cup of tea and a digestive biscuit. But that is not what fellowship is. It's almost like if you invite, an, if you invite someone who doesn't believe in Jesus um, for tea, that's friendship. But invite a Christian, that's fellowship. Well, that's not quite, that's, well, it's not not quite. It's not what the word means. Fellowship is partnership. Common participation towards a shared goal or in a shared goal. The word back then uh, was actually used more generally for business partnerships, for people that fully invested together in the hope that they might see a business grow. And that's the way the word is used here. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is grateful for when he gives thanks to God for the Philippians. They have partnered with Paul, they've fully invested in his work, for the sake of gospel growth. Now, in what ways specifically? Well, we see in chapter 4 that we'll consider in a few weeks' time in his immediate predicament, they've provided practical and emotional support. The gifts they sent, no doubt, included the financial support that I've mentioned already. 
But in the, in the gifts, the gifts did more than just keep Paul alive. They actually kept his ministry going, even from his own, even within his chains. As we'll see next week, those chains did not hinder the advance of the gospel, but served to advance it. He was still proclaiming Christ. It didn't stop him writing either. Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and this letter are all written during this imprisonment. So he's still at work for the upbuilding of the church. And that's what Epaphroditus was there for as well. Epaphroditus from Philippi was just, wasn't just a mailman. He was an encourager. One who came alongside to strengthen Paul's resolve and help him see that his ministry outside of the walls of his imprisonment is still going on. It's advancing. But verse 5 puts a timeline on their partnership with Paul too. They've been partners from the first day until now. From day one when Lydia first believed to this point here, 10 years on, they have shared in their life together when they were physically together and even since. They have supported Paul in his work. Their partnership has very much catalyzed the spread of the gospel. What about us? We've seen the same thing, haven't we? We've enjoyed gospel partnership here as we commit together as members of a local church. And yet we've not just seen the gospel grow here in and through us with our own neighbors and in us in our sanctification. We've seen this gospel spread through gospel partnerships elsewhere because of our partnership. We've planted churches, partnering with groups of believers and seeking to make disciples in other places like Queens Ferry in Hope City Church, Grace, Community, Grace Mount Community Church, Hope Church Aviemore. We've sent missionaries, partnered with individuals who cross cultures to make disciples elsewhere. We, and we do this gospel ministry right here, right now in Edinburgh. Thank God for what God is doing in and through our gospel partnership, friends. It is a massive encouragement. Well, gospel partnership proves that God is at work, and we should thank God for that. It, it catalyzes the spread of the gospel, and we should thank God for that. And also, gospel partnership creates deep affection between partners. That's what we see in verses 7 and 8. Paul loves this Philippian church dearly, doesn't he? You can tell that even from reading these few lines in Philippians 1. Verse 7, though, he says explicitly, I have you in my heart. Okay? Like he's saying, I remember you constantly. You're in my mind. You're in my heart. You're in my prayers. Now, business partnerships are formal. They're agreed with a signature and a handshake. You know, you might appreciate a favor or a perk because of that relationship. But we don't talk in terms like this. We don't talk with descriptive words of affection and love when it comes down to contracts that we sign. I mean, technically, I have a formal partnership with EE for my mobile phone, but I don't, I don't get gushy with customer care and say, love you at the end of a phone conversation. We know this. Gospel partnership is deeply relational, primarily because of who it is that's formed us, God's, the God of love. What we are in him is made by him, a family. What we do is done for him. We're together, and love is the definitive characteristic of our being as a church and our doing as well, just as love is a definitive characteristic of God our Father himself. But we know this. 
We experience it even here today in our gathering like this, to be here together with people whose lives have been transformed through faith in Jesus Christ is an absolute joy. It's a delight to talk with people that we hold in our hearts whose news makes us want to rejoice with them or mourn with them. Both are indications of love. Gives us good cause to be thankful to God that love is the definitive characteristic of what we have here. That's the kind of affection that the Apostle Paul has for the Philippians. And they for him, verse 7 says that they are in his heart specifically because they have shared in God's grace with him. In what ways in particular? Well, verse one, chapter 1, verse 29 tells us to, it's the grace of believing in Christ and suffering for him. You see that? It's very specific. No matter the circumstances for Paul, whether he's in chains or free, defending the gospel before those who'd want to stamp it out or confirming it, just by faithfully teaching it as he does, they, because of their partnership, get to share in God's grace with him. And that means the world to him. As verse 8 proves, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Listen, to share in God's grace through gospel ministry is to share a great, great bond. Does our partnership in the gospel as a church family sink into our hearts like this? Does our partnership in the gospel as a church family make our hearts burst with joy? Long to express it with thanksgiving and prayer. Whether we're defending the gospel before unbelieving friends with the knowledge of or with the, the knowledge of a fellow believer's prayer support, or confirming the gospel by leading people to Jesus, discipling each other as we do, serving one another in love. We should be those who love each other deeply from the heart, as we read in 1 Peter. And do as Paul did here. Thank God for the joy of gospel partnership. If not, why not? If we are not grateful, if we don't have this deep sense of love for each other, why not? Do we not believe what God's word says about the local church and what it is? Is gospel partnership not a priority for us? In some way, are we two arms length with the church that we won't do more than just attend on a Sunday? We won't relate, we won't connect. Or has some experience of church family here created dissatisfaction? It is far from perfect. You're looking at one of the imperfect ones. Look around, you're looking at lots of imperfect ones. But this is what it should be. This is what a local church is. This is what partnership produces in us. Whatever reason any of us have for whatever degree of delight in gospel partnership, we ought to pray for a growing love for meaningful gospel partnership and thank the Lord. That's the first thing. The second thing we see Paul doing here in verses 9 to 11 is, well, it's doing what we should all do. Whether we have a good experience 
or a not-so-good experience of love within a local church, we should ask God for a growing love for gospel partnership. That's what's happening in verses 9 to 11. In verse 9, we find Paul praying for what is excellent. So he's told them in verse 3, I pray for you. Remember you all the time. Verses 9 to 11 tell us explicitly what he's praying for them. Verse 9 says, he's praying for what is excellent, and that is an abounding love, okay? This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight. Now, love ought to grow in those two particular ways that Paul mentions, in knowledge and depth of insight. It's not just some kind of gushy heart feeling. There's form to it. There's a particular kind of love that Paul is praying for here. He doesn't mean, and and he he prays specifically for knowledge and depth of insight. And by knowledge, he doesn't just mean any knowledge. He means the knowledge of God's. Knowing God makes you grow in your love for God's. And growing in your love for God is what will make you grow in your love for each other. It's that simple. And depth of insight is really just a prayer for discernment that Paul goes on to explain in verses 10 and 11. In verses 10 and 11, Paul prays for what is excellent so that the church does what is excellent, okay? And this excellent work has a present and a future result in view. In the present, growing love helps us discern what's best. That's what verse 10 is all about. So that you may be able to discern what is best, as the text says. He wants them to take what they know about God and consider the best possible way of glorifying God by gospel partnership through the application of that knowledge together for the gospel. Paul's logic, I guess, goes something like this. I pray that your knowledge of God would grow and with it your love for him because when you grow in your love for him, you're better placed to consider and identify what is an excellent way to live and therefore best able to know how you should spend your time and invest your gifts. Ultimately, that's his logic. And I want to ask you, is there anything better? Is there anything more important in life, anything that matters more for eternity than glorifying God by advancing the gospel together as a local church family? Is there anything better? Is there anything more important? Anything more valuable in eternity than that? If we hesitate to answer, then maybe we should be praying this prayer. If we consider anything more excellent than the enjoyment of and the spread of the gospel in partnership with one another, we definitely need to pray this prayer. Because this is what God's doing This is God's business. We are, in effect, in partnership with him. And if we are not aligned with this, then that is definitely problematic. We need to pray this prayer for growing love equals growing gospel partnership. I have to say, brothers and sisters, as I've reflected on this, even in this past week, I'm so grateful for the the ease by which you can apply your mind to the relationships that we enjoy. I'm not even talking about ministries here. I'm talking about the love that we share with one another, the way that love is demonstrated in the renewal of concern for each other, in the giving of gifts to each other. 
in the hospitality that we show each other, in the welcome that we give, though we can improve on lots of those areas, the love of God is evident among us. It doesn't, it's not hard to think of that. And that's why we should thank God. I thank God for this church. But we can take it up a level. I mean, this is what Paul's effectively doing with the Philippians here. I mean, you can't, don't miss this. He's saying all of these things to a church that's doing really well. Yes, there is some internal friction in Philippi. They could all do with a healthy dose of humility. We'll see that in the, in the weeks to come. But he, nevertheless, despite, their, despite his delight at their loving, sacrificial, ministry-advancing, gospel-preaching partnership, he's praying that their love might abound more and more. Increase, increase, more. What more could be done for God's kingdom in healthy churches that become healthier? What more could be done in the spread of the gospel for loving churches to become more loving? And how much more sanctified and holy might we be to be on the receiving end of a greater love from one another? I reckon we'd be an awful lot holier and an awful lot more evangelistic, loving, God-honoring if we made our prayers like this. What great work could be done in the Lord's name if we grow to discern even more the excellency of gospel partnership? That's the present aim for praying, this prayer. There's a future element to it as well, of course. Discerning what is excellent and doing what is excellent is what will keep us, as Paul says, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul's painting a picture here of a happy harvest of workers who've loved God and others so much that they've been fruitful. They haven't shirked responsibilities. They haven't been non-committal. They haven't kept people at arm's length. They've been all in and served their master well with all that he has given them. And for them and for us, the church, he's given us Christ. He's given us salvation in him. He's given us energy to do the labors that he calls us to do. He's given us power in the proclamation of the gospel, whether that's from a pulpit or from anyone, wherever we are. And he's given us his love to love with. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for Christ's love compels us. That's why in the end, even as we look forward to the day when we will receive our reward, God is glorified and praised. It's not well done, Liam Garvey. Well done, everyone. No. There will be a well done and good and faithful servant. The Lord Jesus himself has said that. But what will be our response in that time? We have only done our duty. All praise, all glory to you, our God and King, for your love. I want to ask us, friends, is this the way we pray? 
Is this the way you prayed this morning? Does the content of our prayers match Paul's? Are our prayers gospel-centered, gospel-focused, or shopping lists? If our prayers don't match Paul's, then what does it reveal about our commitment to gospel partnership? It could well reveal that it's not as big a priority as we think that it is in our lives. It's easy to be self-deceived in this, but we can't afford to be. We ought to make this our prayer so that we might take our life and our mission together up a level. And if we could take our gospel partnership to the next level, what would that look like? I want you guys to think about this. What does it look like for you in the day-to-day things? What does it look like in your calendar? What What does it look like for your giving? What does it look like for us as a local church together for the things that we commit ourselves to, for the ministries that we run. That's why we're trying to streamline things in ways that make us think more about what can we do as the people God has made us to be and clumped us together to be. What can we do to best advance his gospel? What is the excellent thing that we must do? What are the less than excellent things that we must put aside in order to do what is excellent? Well, that needs discernment, and discernment needs love. So we should pray this prayer. See how it all fits? We can make more disciples, plant more churches, double the number of trainees we send out, send more missionaries into frontline frontline gospel work, start another translation project for a people group yet unreached. What does all of that involve? How does all that work start? Well, God initiates it. But God in his grace encourages us to pray this prayer and to make a commitment together, a loving commitment to one another to go, to send, and give, to take the gospel to Edinburgh and to the ends of the earth. It takes fellowship, true partnership of committed members covenanting together to share in God's grace together by being a local church. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I hope you understand this. The church is not a building. The church is a people. People whose lives have been transformed through faith in Jesus Christ. People who could say with Lydia or the jailer, I was once this, but now... Through faith in Jesus Christ, I am this, transformed, something different. That's what God is doing when he, through people like us, sends this gospel out, takes this gospel to people like you. And it is the good news of Christ's life, spotless, sinless. His death in our place for our sins and his resurrection, the confirmation from God. That that, the price that Jesus paid on the cross was accepted by him. And truly filling us with faith that those who believe can have their sins forgiven and new life in him. We'd love to tell you more about that. That is just a snippet. There's way more. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. That's what everybody who's a member of this church believes. And that's what we long for everybody around us to see. This is what gospel partnership is. It's an absolute privilege and joy. It is a love-compelled expression of sharing in God's grace together. And it catalyzes gospel growth. What better way to spend than to spend our life together doing this? Thank God for the joy of gospel partnership. And ask God for a growing love of gospel partnership. Let's bow our heads and let's take a few moments in the quietness to pray our own prayers of response. Maybe a prayer of thanksgiving for a gospel partnership that you've benefited from or enjoyed being a part of. Give him glory. It's God's work. Maybe you want to pray this prayer of Paul's for love to abound more and more for a growing love of gospel partnership and of what God is doing through his church. Our Father, we thank you for the joy of our life together as a church family for the partnership that we enjoy. And we share in Paul's prayer, even now, may our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and, day, and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him, our savior. And to you, be glory and praise. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Let's stand together and sing our closing song, a song that helps us reflect on what we are and what we enjoy, the church's one foundation.
questions about something we've been talking about today, I'll be at the door when we're finished, happy to chat to you. Any questions about uh, life of the church, what you'd like to be involved in, how you can take partnership up a level, well, there's a connect corner there. We'd love to hear from you if you're interested in joining or in serving. And uh, do join us again for 7 o'clock tonight uh, for our first Samuel series. Andy Patterson's preaching the next slice of that. Uh, so please do join us at 7. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip us with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, and all God's people said.